there's a lot of common greetings out there, and I wonder if any of these are the ones that you use most often. Maybe you simply say, hello, or hi, or hey. Maybe you say, morning. Maybe you're one that says, how are you, or how are things, how is life? Maybe it's simply, howdy, that's what you use. Maybe you're a what's up, what's happening, what's new, what's going on. Maybe you're a yo, that's you. Maybe you're someone that says long time no see or it's nice to see you. It's a pleasure to meet you or even how do you do? Like there's all these different greetings. Maybe you're someone that when you greet someone, it's not so much verbally, but you do the nonverbal connection. So you do the handshake or you've got the fist bump. You are the high five kind of person. Maybe you just simply like to wave. Maybe you're someone that smiles. You see someone and you know, and there you go. You know, there's a connection. Maybe it's not even the smile. It's just a simple nod. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's all these different ways that we connect with people right off the bat. Um, if you go around the world, you may hear different words such as hola or bonjour, or guten tag, or even g'day mate. You know, those kind of things. I remember back when we were at CIY Move, someone from Ireland was speaking to us. And so he had to tell us the proper greeting if you were in Ireland. And so maybe some of you were at the CIY Move and it's going to bring you back. But the simple phrase is, what's the crack? Like that's what they would ask people. What's the crack? So our students, they love that. They're like, oh, that's so cool. We can talk about that. But in in their culture, this idea of crack means the idea of news, gossip. What is the enjoyable conversation? And so for the whole week, students are saying, what's the crack? You know, starting our conversations. I was looking around again at different ways that people greet each other, either customs now or in the past. And, you know, we sometimes talk about or, or demonstrate this Eskimos kiss. And we think it has something to do romantically, but it doesn't. It was all about this acceptance of someone else. You know what? I also read about how in certain cultures, when you are showing respect, you don't just bow down, but you even touch their toes or your forehead goes all the way down to the ground as I am saying that I am in total respect of who you are. I was reading about how in Tibet, at least for a long time, people, when they greeted each other, they would stick out their tongue because apparently they at one time had been ruled by someone who had a black tongue. And so they had to see, okay, do you have a black tongue? I am not evil. I'm not reincarnated from him. And so that was the way that they would greet one another. I also read that there are certain African places where the greeting is that you squeeze gently the other person's thumb. All right. Now, I'm sure there are some customs that we do that if you're going to go around the world, they would laugh at at what we do. But these are different ways just to connect with someone else. In fact, I remember sometimes in student ministry talking with students and maybe there was a student that they really, really liked. It's like, don't you wish we could go back to biblical times and you could bring back the greeting of the holy kiss? And that would just break down that wall right off the bat. But you know what? Again, that had nothing to do romantically. It really was this idea that implied friendship or acceptance. And so when we write a letter today, you know, we don't do all those things because we're sending something. We usually begin our letter saying, dear such and such. Or if we don't know who we're writing to, it says, to whom it may concern. Well, back during New Testament times, when people were writing letters, it had a little bit of a different structure. They would begin by writing who it was that is writing the letter. They would put their name, which is kind of nice because sometimes if you don't have the return address, you have to go to the bottom to see who it is and then start back up again. And so they would say, this is who's writing it. Here is who this letter is written to. Here's a short greeting. And then here is the body of the letter. Here's the information that I want you to know. And so as we're beginning this book of Colossians, I want to remind you that it was originally a letter. And so therefore, it follows the structure that I just told you. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Colossians right at the beginning. If you have your devices, open up to the book of Colossians. I imagine there's a lot of times when you read these shorter letters, you read these first couple verses 
and you just kind of skip right over them. You're like, okay, yeah, I did that. And then you go on to the next thing. But we're not going to do that today. We are going to camp out in those first two verses. And I'm going to tell you that my desire is that as you leave or as you turn off the television here in a little while, that it's not just that you learn something, you know, knowledge-wise. Like I've been praying that there's information in here that then influences the way you live, whether within your connection with God or your connection with other people. And so Colossians chapter one, verses one and two, here's what we see. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God, our father. All right, so that's what we read. No matter what translation you use, most of the wording within this text is the exact same thing. And so we're going to break it down a bit. So if we go back to the first verse and we start again, it says Paul, and we're going to stop right there. Okay, we're only one word in. You're like, man, are we not going to get through this? Well, it's two verses. You got to jump into a bunch of things. But we're looking at Paul, all right? Who is Paul? If I were to ask that question, I'd get a lot of different answers. For some of you, you have grown up knowing who Paul is. You could tell me all sorts of information about this is who he is. For some of you, you'd go, I know certain points. Like I've heard this or I've been taught this. And others of you might go, I know his name. Like I hear it quite a bit of church, but that's about the extent to what I know. So here is who Paul is. And we're going to start by listening to his own words in Acts chapter 22, verses three. This is what he says, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And then in the letter to the Philippians in our chapter three, starting in the middle of verse four, he says this, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And so here's what he says. Here's some facts just based on those two little scriptures. We know that Paul was born in Tarsus and that actually allowed him to be a Roman citizen. All right. It was a free city. And so he then was able to be a Roman city uh, citizen. We don't know much about his parents. There's theories out there that maybe they had some money. And so that's how they were able to buy their Roman citizenship. We aren't for sure, but we can tell you that as you read through scripture, that actually helps him out later on. But at the exact same time of being a Roman citizen, he was also born and raised with the Jewish heritage and with the Jewish traditions. And so that meant when he was five years old, he would begin to study scriptures. When he was 10 years old, he would begin to learn the legal traditions. He was taught that what you think is important, but also the things you do, actions are important. And so he became a tent maker, you know, making sure that he could support himself even while he taught things. At some point during his life, he went to Jerusalem and was taught under one of the greatest rabbis in the first century, whose name was Gamaliel. And so it really seems like he excelled in his studies. Like it kind of seems if you take a step back that a lot of things were going well for him. He worked hard to achieve these things, but he was in the fast lane like for success. Things were going really, really well. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse four, he says this. I persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. 
And so when he talks about this way, that means the followers of Jesus. That's very early on when they're the followers of the way, that's Jesus. And so he persecuted followers of Jesus, arresting some of them and killing others. In fact, the first martyr for Jesus that we know about, his name is Stephen, and Paul is there. In fact, it talks about how all these people who are about to throw rocks at Stephen to kill him, they lay their cloaks at the feet of a person named Saul. And it says he is there giving his approval to this. And not long afterwards, he's about to encounter Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is off yet once again to persecute those who are believers, and this bright light comes from heaven. And Jesus' voice himself says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Man, that encounter changed his life. It also changed his name because he went from being called Saul up to this point to now being called Paul afterwards. But he had always believed in God. In fact, the reason he was persecuting the church was he felt like, Jesus, there's no way. You're claiming to be God. There's no way this can be right. And so he felt like he was doing what God wanted him to do. And now he's defending Jesus. He sees the truth. And so God calls him to do a lot of things. He goes on these things called missionary journeys, these big trips where he starts churches, where he encourages the churches. He wants them to understand the truth and be encouraged with the spirit. And so we read about three of these throughout the book of Acts. If your Bible even has a map, like lots of maps in the back, there's a good chance that one of those maps is the journeys that Paul took. And then it includes a fourth one, which then took him to Rome to where he eventually was killed. And there's other people who traveled with him on these journeys. Some of the names that maybe you know would be Barnabas or Mark or even Silas. Then there's some other people that were with him for a while at different spots. And one of those people, his name was Timothy, who we read about here in verse 1. When Paul says, hey, I'm writing this letter and here's our brother Timothy with us. Like Timothy was someone that Paul mentored. He encouraged. He invested in. In fact, he loved him so much, he almost said this is like a father-son type relationship. And so there's these people going along with Paul as they are speaking to people, but not everything was smooth sailing. There are all sorts of difficulties that he encountered. And so he writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, he speaks. He's saying, are they servants of Christ? Well, I am out of my mind to talk like this. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, and I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the, the Jews, uh, from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And Paul, just even in that list alone, he's not bragging, but he has gone through a lot. And I can only imagine that that day on the road to Damascus, seeing Jesus, seeing this bright light is something that constantly got him through those difficulties. But not just that, but just continually knowing that God was with him every single moment. 
So who is Paul? Well, that's who Paul is. And as part of his greeting to the church in Colossae, after he states his name, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So whenever he says apostle, like that literally means one who is sent. We usually use it a little bit deeper, one who is sent for a missionary task. The idea that you are a representative, you are an ambassador of someone else. And so who is Paul an ambassador of? He says, of Christ Jesus. I am being sent. I'm speaking on behalf of him. And then he says, by the will of God. I am doing this by the will of God. Make no mistake, I'm not doing this just of my own will. God chose me. He wanted me to be apostle. He anointed me, said, you will give this message to the Gentiles. Okay, so why does all this really matter? I mean, we've looked at just a few words. Why does this matter about who Paul is? Remember last week, we talked about how the church of Colossae, they had never met Paul. And we talked about the struggle they were feeling, the idea of, okay, believe in Jesus, but you still need some of these Jewish traditions or believe in Jesus, but you still need some of these outside things as well to fully get it. And what he does is he communicates his authority right off the bat saying that what I am speaking comes from God and you can have faith in Jesus and he is enough. That is who this letter of Colossians is from. So then as we're following along, who then is it written to? And so in verse two, it tells us to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now here's where your verse may be just a tad different. Maybe yours doesn't say holy. It says saints. All right. Same word. Maybe yours, when it says brothers in Christ, it might say brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is so that it's culturally, culturally relevant. We understand that when he's writing to people, it's believers, male and female. Maybe yours even has a footnote after the word faithful. And when you go down to the bottom of your Bible, it says that that word could mean believing. Here's what you need to know, that Paul is writing to the church. He says the brothers or the brothers and sisters in Christ. That means believers, okay? Not a physical brother, sister, but you, a believer of Christ, which is why I really like the word faithful there. I think that it's important that you who are believing, you are faithful in this. We see you living this out. He's not just saying, I'm writing to the believing believers. Like you are faithful in what you are living out. But before that, he calls them holy or saints. Whenever he uses that word, it simply means anyone who is following after Jesus. Even today, anyone who is a Christ follower is holy. Anyone who is a Christian is a saint. But even as I say that, I wonder, do you feel that way? Or maybe even all the time. Are there moments that you're like, I just don't feel that holy. Like, I don't feel like a saint. The Greek word really does mean this idea of set apart. Set apart for a purpose. It can be used to describe a person. It can be used to describe a place or a thing, or sometimes it's even used to describe God. And I think that's important for us because when we think of holy, maybe the word, you know, worthy or perfect or pure comes to mind, and it does mean those, but we're often incorrect in how do we achieve that. So many times when we think about being holy, We think, I just have to work harder. Like, if I work harder, then I can be more holy. And so sometimes if we're like, ah, I really struggle with alcohol and being able to stop at a certain point, but if I could get control of that, like, yeah, I drink some, but it doesn't cross this line. If I could be able to do that, then I would be more holy. Or maybe it's, ah, the words that sometimes slip out of my mouth. Like, if I could learn to bite my tongue, like, then, then I would probably be more holy. 
or maybe it's when I'm driving along and someone cuts me off and like I'm feeling a little bit frustrated. If I could learn to wave with five fingers instead of one, like then I would be more holy. Or maybe it's simply if I could be more patient. Like seriously, if I could just learn patience, then I could be more holy. And as hard as it is for sometimes us to grasp in this culture, there aren't degrees of holiness. When you say yes to Jesus, he makes you worthy. And it's not by your actions, but it is by his action. Now, I will tell you, the way that you and I live, we either display that holiness or we cover it up. But you and I, we are made holy because of Jesus. And even as I say that, if that's still really hard for you to grasp, think about this. Think about a place that is holy. Think about a thing that is holy. Have you ever seen it work hard to become more holy? The answer is no. You and I are made holy because of Jesus. And I hope this maybe helps you realize that in those moments that maybe you don't feel very holy, you don't feel like a saint, you can be reminded that if you are a Christian, that you are holy because Jesus says you are. And so when we go back to our text, we see that Paul is writing to those who are believing in Jesus, those who have been made holy because of Jesus, and now they are faithfully living out their call. If we want to just simplify that, we can say he's writing to the church. He's writing to the church that is established there in the city of Colossae. So in our instructions that we've been reading, we see the author, we see the recipient, and now it's time for the short greeting. And it simply says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And maybe yours has a little footnote again that says, and some manuscripts say, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, grace and peace to you. Like This is the biggest point that I want to focus in on tonight or this morning. I don't want you to skip over it. Maybe never again. Like when you read Paul's letters, every single one of them begins with this idea of grace and peace to you. There's a couple of them that will add in mercy, but grace and peace. Now, I will tell you, if he's the author of Hebrews, he doesn't put that there. But every other one, that's what he does. And at the end of his letters, there's some kind of idea about grace be with you. It is so much deeper than just simply starting off a letter saying, dear. He's got a purpose behind this. Grace and peace. It is a wonderful summary of the gospel. And what he does is in Greek cultures, they often would have greeted, greeted each other using that word for grace, this idea of grace or joy or blessing to you. In the Hebrew circles, they would have used this word shalom, which meant peace. And so what he does is he takes the introductions that both of these groups would have used. He puts them together, but he doesn't just leave them there. He then puts them together in Christ. Grace and, and peace in Christ. There's a professor from Ozark Christian College called Mike, or named Michael DeFazio, and he says that every system of belief has an end goal. Like, this is what you are aiming for. But they also give you the means to how to get to that spot. And he said, when you look at this very small greeting here at the beginning of Colossians, you see this whole purpose of what Jesus wanted. Like this word peace. Whenever we hear it, you might just go, okay, peace, that sounds good. In fact, a lot of times people in the Roman Empire would have thought about this idea of Pax Romana, this peace of Rome, the idea that they are going to come in and watch over you. So if you're part of the Roman Empire, they're not going to let anyone else come in and attack you. And so peace is this idea of a lack of conflict, 
or a lack of war. But really, when the Hebrews would have used the word peace, it meant so much more than that. It meant this idea of harmony and goodness and wholeness. In fact, maybe this will even help you as we think about peace. And so we read, and we even heard a while ago, that in the beginning was God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was here, and He created us. He created us in His image, and the purpose is to have relationship with Him, to be in connection with God. That was our purpose. But even in the beginning, we read about how He said it's not good for man to be alone, and He's not just talking marriage, He's talking community. So we are to be in community with other people. All right? So again, this is part of the way that God has built us. He also then said, you are to be over the earth. All right. So you are to rule it, subdue it, you know, take care of it. And so you've got the earth here. All right. Another aspect of who we are. But then there's even this internal aspect, understanding who we are as a culture, but then also understanding who I am as a person. And so when we talk about peace, peace is all of these things being in the state that they're supposed to be in. That's what peace is. When we talk about shalom, we are engaged in a life-giving relationship with God. We are receiving the life that he has for us. And then that plays out into everything else. That plays out into how we serve one another and we interact with other people. It it, uh, comes into this idea of how we care for the earth. It even then brings peace into how we think about ourselves. That is the way that God created this world to work. However, if you kind of open your eyes and look around, you might go, man, that's not how the world is working right now. In fact, even when you're talking about the greatest conflicts and you're talking about English things, you have man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self. And there's all this conflict. Why? Well, again, back in Genesis We understand where that all comes from. Sometimes we use the word fall. Sometimes we use the word sin. But ultimately, this relationship right here from the very beginning was tattered. Like we chose that we wanted to do things our own way. And so this initial connection was broken. And then that infiltrated everything else. And so now instead of always having harmony here, you have tension and you have blame, and you have people looking at others saying, I am better than you. Over here, we have mental unhealth, we have anxiety, we have unrest. And then when you're looking at the world, we have now thorns and thistles, we have natural uh, disasters and these kind of things. And so what was originally made to be this beautiful design of sharing and receiving and extending life, and it's become quite the opposite. So when we talk about peace, like biblically, peace means the restoration of this dream. It shows that God has come in to do something to fix the problem that we alienated ourselves from him. It gives us a good picture of what to hang on to, the end, that which we are looking forward to. But the gospel doesn't just describe the end, it also describes the means. And the means to get here is grace. Grace is what we so desperately want. It's what we so desperately need. I mean, think about it. In this world, you look around and so many people want peace. Like they want peace, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. And maybe you're even someone like, I just don't see any hope of getting peaceful because like no one is moving in the same direction. But scripture tells us 
that if you do not have grace right here, if you do not have this act of grace between you and God, first of all, you will not find peace. You won't find peace because the establishment of peace depends on that first act of grace. And at the end of the day, the cross, it comes in, it restores life. It restores the connection that we have with God. For everyone who believes in the Son, that is restored. But then it doesn't just stop there. The cross then comes in and restores all the connections. It says this is what life is supposed to be like. And we get to look forward to this of what it's going to be like in eternity. But even for right now, when we are living according to God and his plan, we get aspects of his peace because of living the way he designed. And so Paul, in this very simple phrase, he basically says, I understand what you want, but you're not going to get it by human efforts. You're not going to get it just by simply working harder. What happens is you have to recognize what God has done for you. Because he could have just sat back and let us suffer our consequences, saying, this is what you chose. But instead, he sent his son. He sent Jesus to take away our sins so that we would not have to feel that anymore. And so now there's a mixture of justice and grace together. Grace. When Paul uses that word, he definitely understood its meaning. Like he had experienced life apart from Jesus. In fact, he was against Jesus until Jesus comes in and then he begins following after him, experiencing that life. And in his letters, if you're to read them throughout the, throughout the New Testament, you see him say, you know what, at one point, that I am the least of the apostles. At another point, he says, I am the least of all the saints. And then later on, he even says, I'm the worst of all sinners. Like he understands this grace that he has received, but it only came through Jesus. And so from the start of this letter, he's simply saying, who you need is Jesus at the center. Like from these very first two verses alone, you see Paul saying, you know what? I am writing to you um, because of Jesus. I am writing to you believers who are in Christ. I am wanting you to experience this grace and this peace that come through Christ. As our whole series is called Christ Above All, that's what it is. He wants them to understand who Jesus is. And so I think the same thing is for us as well. Except at the beginning of the sermon, I said, I hope it's not just my knowledge that you gain. Like, I hope that there's something that's even more impactful for you. And so maybe, maybe for you today, as we talked about this idea of being holy or being a saint, you got a new perspective And that truth is going to allow you to live in a freedom in Christ that you have never experienced. Why? Because every single day you just try to be a little bit better, but not because you're living in the love of God. You're trying to be a little bit better so that God maybe will love you a little bit more. Man, when I look at scripture, I see that if you are a child of God, you are completely loved and you are holy. And so maybe as you walk out these doors, you now get to live your life in this thankfulness. Like, I am glad of what God has done, and I am (laughs) not repaying him, but I'm just saying thank you, as opposed to trying to earn something. And man, that is freeing. Or maybe some of you, as we talked about this peace, like you understand it's more than just a lack of conflict. You see how everything comes together through Christ. And so maybe part of you is like, you know what? 
I want this initial connection just to be that much tighter. God, would you help me with that? And then as that happens, God, would you help me as I interact with other people? Will you help me as I care for the earth? God, will you help me in these times that I struggle with who I am and, uh, and all those aspects? And I will tell you, if you grasp this peace, it is so much more than information. Because at this moment, you begin to live in a way that you will get to live for eternity. <laughs> you experience this peace and wholeness that He wants you to have right now. And that really, if we're being honest, we want as well. Or maybe that word grace has become a little bit more real. Like you understand, okay, I see why Jesus had to come and die. Like I understand what his death means for everyone. But maybe even more than that, I understand what it means for me. And I'll tell you, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, you've never said, I need you to be the Lord. I want you to come in and restore this because on my own, man, I have made this a mess. No matter how hard I try, there are things that just don't add up and I need you to come in. And if that is you, I would tell you there is no greater choice than the, to do that before you go home today. Like, don't put it off. Like, I understand that this is very simple, but it is also foundational. It is life-giving. Man, if I could even just tell you of the few stories in the last couple weeks of people emailing me and talking to me going, can I tell you the truth that this is my story now, that Jesus has come into my life, and man, the things that he is doing is incredible. We don't just come here to sit, sing, and go home. The things that God does is amazing. And so maybe part of this is wanting to live this peace, but it starts with grace. And so here in just a moment, when I'm praying or after I pray, or even as everyone's leaving, if that's you going, what does this mean? Or I want Jesus, then I would encourage you to go to the prayer room. We want to pray alongside of you. Or if, or if you're even in the spot that you are still holy, you are still a saint, but like this relationship right here, you haven't given it a whole lot of thought. Like you've been doing everything on your own and you're simply like, man, I would love for someone to pray for me so that that can really be reestablished again then we would love to pray for you as well. Man, two simple verses. But Paul says, you're holy, and may you experience the grace and the peace. And man, that is life-changing. That's only two verses. We've got a whole lot more to go. But I'm looking forward to seeing what God's Spirit's going to do in us as we continue to dive into His Word. Let's pray. God, I first start out just saying thank you, for sending Jesus, for originally creating this connection with us that we, that we messed up. But God, not just leaving us there, that you took initiative, that did what needed to happen so that we could be with you for eternity. God, I pray uh, for those who have never made that decision. God, may they be able to experience the peace and the wholeness that you want for them, that you desire for them, that you created for them. God, for us that are in this, I pray that we don't take it for granted. I pray that maybe even a reminder here of our aspect of then being able to think about ourselves or relationships with others, that all of it points back to you. Help us to show that holiness. God, I pray that we'd continue to live in community to encourage one another so that we're not having to do this on our own. God, I pray that your word just continues to speak loudly. Your spirit continues to move in us. And Father, man, I pray that you are glorified by the things that we say and do. It is through the name of Jesus that we approach you. It is through the name of Jesus that we are saved. It is through the name of Jesus that we rejoice. Amen. Amen.